the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off. Download that app, personalize it with your favorite teams and league, and get exclusive content at your fingertips. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Giannetti. A little bit of football, a little bit of baseball. Back to the playoffs for me. It's a Wednesday night edition of the Spot Trek podcast, and I'm going to start with the best values in the NFL at the one-third pole. Can no longer say the quarter pole because there's 18 weeks. For now, we track this stuff kind of uniquely, um, similar to how we project players. We also grade players, and we use some advanced stuff. We use some standard stuff. We use some a bit of a deconstructed fantasy point structure and we bring out essentially a grade a tbs rating for every player in the league and we do then singular positional rankings and combined team rankings so i'm going to give you some cliff note versions of where we stand at the one-third pole here no surprise and by the way i'm going to give you the overall so just based on the actual grade and then i'm going to flip to a little bit of rookies and a little bit of veterans because we obviously have to delineate for fairness between players that are in their cost controlled on the rookie wage scale and players that have cashed in with a veteran contract overall. So let's take every quarterback that exists right now on every contract, small or large Jalen hurts is the best value quarterback in the NFL at the one third point. No surprise. If I turn that into veterans, no surprise. Josh Allen. <laughs> okay. Um, that's just sort of aligned with the stars right now. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, though I will be buyer beware here. Last year at this time, the veteran was Dak Prescott. Last year at this time, the rookie was Kyler Murray. So it didn't get to the finish line that way. But for now, these two players exist in their own right. Very differently <laughs> compensated. But neck and neck in terms of the standings and how they're carrying their team at this point in time. Running backs. Josh Jacobs is your overall best value. He's an expiring contract. Fifth-year option was declined by the Raiders. I think he's a trade candidate, especially if the Raiders lose one or two more here leading up to November 1st. I think he's a trade candidate. And I think he can help a contender really, really well. More so maybe than a Barkley could. More so maybe than a McCaffrey could in a very short stint. He's just a pounded out, do everything. And by the way, he's, he's learned how to catch some balls in this league too. So I, I think because he's not your one-size-fits-all back, which is harder to fit into your offense, harder to get up to speed with an offense in the middle of a season, he's just to go out there and play hard back. I think that's the guy that can help at the deadline, as I mentioned in the last episode. For just talking veteran contracts, Nick Chubb, no doubt there. You might be the offensive player of the year right now, or at least the candidate for that. Those are your two running back values. Justin Jefferson is obviously the wide receiver from a overall value standpoint, and he's about to get paid. He's extension eligible after 2022. Currently values to about 27 and a half, which is well north of A.J. Brown's 25 million, which is the current rookie extension bar at the wide receiver position. Veterans only, Stefan Diggs. Again, an offensive player of the year candidate. He and Josh Allen have hooked up for a ton of production, timely and just overall this year. 
that's not going to slow down barring injury. So that's your wide receiver set. Tight end gets fun. I've got the same player for overall tight end value and veteran tight end value, and it's Travis Kelsey. He's just doing it all. He's kind of a one-man show right now in that offense, even though Mahomes promised he'd be spreading that ball around. When, it's, when it comes down to third and something or goal and something and red zone stuff, everybody knows it's going to Kelsey, and somehow he's still six yards open. So $14.3 million average salary is the best value based on his overall production right now in all of football. Should he be restructured next year? Probably. He, he took a bit of a, he took some money from the next two seasons, pulled it into this year, converted it to a signing bonus. They've done everything possible from a cap perspective. Maybe they're going to be adding another weapon around him with that cap space. But from a contractual standpoint, he may have to start over next year, even though he's early 30s and has to be on the backside of things at some point in time here. A couple of offensive linemen that stand out. <clears throat> Excuse me, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle for the Giants, underrated. Should be should be a household name soon at left tackle. Probably will be paid accordingly. And uh, you know Creed Humphrey, the center that the Chiefs drafted when they were, when they went all in to fix that offensive line for Patrick Mahomes, he's been on this list for two straight seasons. So he's doing something right. There's no question about it. And it's a big reason why Mahomes has been standing up a hell of a lot more than he did three years ago. Defensively, Quinn and Williams for the Jets. That whole Jets defense looks amazing. Sauce Gardner might be the uh, rookie of the year right now, defensively speaking. And Quinn and Williams is about to get paid. He's at that threshold right now. They were waiting for this roster to kind of round into form a little bit, and certainly defensively it has. He became eligible for a contract extension after last season. So I have to imagine as he approaches his fifth-year option next year, it's going to be time to lock in Quinn and Williams at the going rate for hybrid defensive tackles, which, you know, that's Jonathan Simmons' conversation. Obviously, Aaron Donald reset that at $30 million. I'm not sure any of these younger guys are going to get to that threshold. But around there, 24, 25, 27 maybe in the Bosa range, that's where we're living. And speaking of that Bosa range, Nick Bosa is your best value defensive ed- end right now. Might be neck and neck with Micah Parsons for that defensive player of the year. Now he's been banged up, and that's been the storyline, right? That's why in our system, Nick Bosa is not a $30 million player. He just can't stay on the field. And we, we denigrate that from a, from a projection standpoint. So I, I know this guy can do it. But will he be dinged a little bit for kind of annually hitting that IR or, or some sort of time missed with regularity here? We'll see. So he, whenever he's available, he's on this list. I'll tell you that right now. And then one more name that stands out, and that's Jordan Poyer. Been in the news for a lot of reasons, all positive. Yes, he's got some banged up ribs. Um, and his compadre, Micah Hyde, is out for the year. He's on an expiring contract. We didn't know if he was going to show up to training camp. We didn't know if he was going to hold out into the regular season for that, for that new contract. He got some new incentives built into it. Uh, he could probably make himself about $2 million. And by the way, he's probably going to because he's catching an interception a game, making gigantic plays. If he can stay healthy, stay on the field, not only is he going to make the incentives, but he's going to roll this into some kind of contract, whether it's to stay in Buffalo or to hit the open market and join somebody else next year. So he's peaking at the right time. He's been doing this for a bunch of years, but standing out a little bit more extra this year, all things considered. Um, If we're talking back to just the veterans, defensively speaking, Brandon Graham, Philadelphia Eagles. It's a name we probably haven't heard in a couple of years. He hasn't gone away. (laughs) There's no question about that. Um, You know, offensive linemen, your Calvin Beecham's, your James Hurst, 
your Will Hernandez. It's a grinded out kind of list right now. It's funny that, you know, the Aaron Donalds of the world are doing their thing, but they're not really standing, standing, standing out. Cooper Cup, right? A bunch of these veteran quarterbacks, right? You know, the Rodgers and the Bradys and the, and the Staffords, certainly the Wilsons, nowhere to be found. And generally speaking, they're hanging around at high paid slash also good value. We see this in the NBA quite a lot because there's a lot of high paid players. So if your production exceeds the majority of them or the median of them to a certain degree, the math just works in your favor. That's the Kelsey stuff here. But we're not seeing that really with other, other positions, at least not through the first third of the season here. May even out as we go on here, but for now, it's a pretty good balance of a couple of high-paid players really out, you know, out kicking their coverage and the rookie wage scale doing what it does, which is makes good teams that can hit lightning in a bottle incredible values. And speaking of which, let's flip to the teams here. It's kind of our version of the power rankings, right? So we take these, these grades, as I mentioned, mash them all together, do a little math on them, and we get our 1 through 32 power rankings. But from a value standpoint, from a financial value standpoint, bang for buck, essentially. No surprise. Eagles 1, Bills 2. The only reason the Bills are 2 is because they're 5-1, and one, right? We account wins into this process. The Eagles are actually allocating... $8 million more in cap this year than the Bills, believe it or not. And that's with the rookie quarterback contract. That's with some rookie running backs. That's with some rookie defensive players or rookie-level defensive players. You know, the Bills have some of that mixed into their roster, but for the most part, the Bills are extending, right? Tight end. One wide, at least one of the wide receivers. Certainly the quarterback. Most of the offensive line fully locked in. The secondary. The defensive line is certainly a little bit of, you know, of a value outside of Von Miller. And then Tremaine Edmonds on his fifth year, Matt Milano, extended. So kind of apples to apples. There's some veterans on the Philly defense that really kind of impacts and, and adds up a little bit here. And the Bills have new contracts, which from a cap perspective means probably a little bit less cap in year one, a little bit more cap in year two. So we'll see where they end up next year at this point in time. But Six no Eagles are the best value in all of football according to our grading. Bills are two. Giants are a close three. The spending's all pretty darn close with these teams right now, too. Vikings are fourth. Chiefs are five. And really between all five of these teams, we're talking about a difference between two hundred and two to two hundred and thirteen million of cap this year. So production, good bang for buck. Um, all of the five of these teams are graded north of eighty-two out of a hundred in our system right now. Eagles are at 99.03. So uh, it's not an accident. They are, getting the, they are getting it from all parts of their roster. Obviously, it starts with Jalen Hurts. He's the best value quarterback in football. But if you go down and up and down this roster, every little bit is helping right now from a, a bang for buck scenario. If I go to the bottom, just because I got to sway negative a little bit here, right? The Lions are the worst value team in football. And that may surprise you because they've been kind of fun to watch. They came, they came running out of the gates here, but they're one and four. So that's factor one. And factor two is, is they have 214, 215 million a cap right now. So it's not like that they're, you know, they're a, the Cleveland Guardians throwing a low payroll out there and hoping they can get themselves into the postseason. They're, they're pretty well paid. There's some defensive players that have paid. 
certainly a couple of free agent wide receivers. Jared Goff brings a decent amount of cap and cash to the roster. And the offensive line isn't brand new. Yes, there's a couple of veteran contracts on there, but you know they've done their due diligence to not be super raw, super ripe. And the overall cap shows that right now. Now, it's not the highest cap. And there are teams with way higher caps and one win more that are right neck and neck at the bottom of this list. So if I go bottom five, it's Lions, Texans, Panthers, Jaguars, Steelers. No surprise. No surprise at all there. Commanders and Broncos are teetering. And uh, those would be a bit of a surprise, in my opinion, because I thought both should be contending for their division. And maybe they will. It's only six weeks in. But of those five teams, which do I expect to continue to slide? I don't expect the Steelers to slide. But I think they're going to continue to lose two, win one, pretty much all year. And they'll be uh, you know, a third of what they probably used to be, 10, 11 wins kind of annually. But can they get themselves to six, seven wins? I bet they can. I'm not sure Houston can do this. The Browns are going to win some games when they're healthy. Excuse me, the Lions are going to win some games when they're healthy. The Panthers are probably about to sell their parts off here. And I do think the Jaguars are a little bit in that Steelers camp where they're going to they're gonna have their moments. And they've got offensive players that can have moments. Panthers, in my opinion, are about to not try. Houston has been trying 100% of the time this season, and they just don't have the roster. And I believe that's on purpose. And I'm not going to knock them for it. They've been flushing out the front office, which I think they may have just finalized. They have been stringing along the quarterback position. I think stringing along the coaching position for the last two, three years. The Deshaun stuff was a crazy big-time annoyance, and by the way, problematic for them. And they're probably still dealing with that behind the scenes from their own legal standpoint because of their involvement, by the way. Um, So look, there's some low-hanging fruit still sitting with this organization. And if you look at the roster, you know, there's some good faith efforts in guys like Brandon Cooks right now. And, you know, they, they hit on a rookie running back fine. Davis Mills isn't the QB one of the future. So at some point in time, they're going to start this over. They got a crazy high-paid left tackle. There's a couple of defensive players that I think could be on the trade block this, this November. We'll see where they go. But I believe that the Texans and the, and the Panthers are the easy ones to continue to slide down here. With the Lions, maybe a slight uptick. Maybe not the worst value team in football maybe at the half turn. And uh, I think the Jaguars and Steelers will continue to climb. Maybe it's the commanders that, that slide down in their place because of the quarterback change here with Carson Wentz injured. But that's kind of my uh, in-depth, nerdy look here at best value players, best value teams, worst values in some cases. I guess I should give you some worst value players here, right? That wouldn't be fair to, to only be positive in that regard. The worst value quarterback in all of football. I know you're going to think it's Russell Wilson. And you would be very, very close to being right. Russell Wilson has a 5.74 grade in their system right now. And he is only usurped by Matthew Stafford, who has a 5.52. I don't think that's being talked about enough. Because, number one, these grades are heavily based on money, on average salary, for, for instance. Russell Wilson makes $8.5 million more a year than Matthew Stafford. So the fact that Matthew Stafford at 40 is a worse value than Russell Wilson at 48.5 is extremely alarming for Matthew Stafford and Rams fans. He's been that unproductive. Baker Mayfield's the third worst. If you're a Rams and Broncos fan, 
and you uh your QB one, both of which I I think teams your franchises had massively high hopes for this year specifically, and you find yourself behind, well behind Baker Mayfield and Matt Ryan, that's not great. And oh by the way, Baker Mayfield makes eight point one million this year on an average salary from Carolina, and he's ahead of Russell Wilson, and he's ahead of Matthew Stafford. Fifth worst value quarterback in football is Aaron Rodgers. That is not something I ever thought I'd say in my life here because he has always been well-paid and well-valued near the top of this list, certainly within the top 15, many times to the top 10 the, the, the last few years we've been running this. So to see him down there is weird. I think that's going to at least correct itself slightly. I'm not sure if he can get from 27 into the top 10, but man, there's some big names down there right now. Let's just put it that way. And I'm going to look at one more. I'm going to look at the edge rusher because this is a position I'm watching carefully right now. It's a position from a financial standpoint that I think could be changing. Yeah. So there's a name down there that you're going to hear quite a lot of in the next 48 hours. I said it in the last episode. It's going to come up probably tomorrow as you're listening to this podcast. The worst value edge rusher in football right now is Robert Quinn a player that the Bears are trying like hell to get rid of despite his gaudy contract. You know, even just at the deadline here. Buyer beware. Chandler Jones is at the bot- near the bottom of this list. Yannick Ngakwe is at the bottom of this list. The, uh, the shelf life on these players of late, something I've been noticing for three, four years now, and I'm, like I said, I'm keeping my eye on it, has really fallen off a cliff. The year-to-year injuries have really piled up. It's a position that I don't think they know how to play their position anymore because of the roughing the passer stuff, because of the rule changes. I think there's a lot more injuries because of the stop-start, because of the slow-ups. I'm looking for, for outlets right now that are doing the data work on this because I think it's not a fluke, it's not an accident that players like Clowney and players like Ngakwe have been tossed around this league. Good edge rushers, good young, experienced edge rushers, edge rushers, right? Justin Houston fell off a cliff. Melvin Ingram fell off a cliff. We're going to see more of this. I know Von Miller is the alpha in this conversation, and maybe that's exactly what he is. You know, maybe there's going to be a group that can withstand everything from the injury stuff to being high paid but still producing. But I, I really do think that this position, this, this group of players, right, it's outside linebackers, defensive ends, to some degree defensive tackles that can slide in and out, even the off-ball linebackers to some degree. I do think we're seeing a little bit of a shift here, and teams are basically saying thanks but no thanks in a lot of cases. A lot of cases. We'll see if that continues because I think that's coming for that position, and possibly in a few years, the wide receiver position as well. Something to keep an eye on. Something I've been watching here. All right, let's talk about some baseball. I haven't yet recapped the divisional series. Losers. Obviously, that's who I'm going to focus on here because the winners don't have much to talk about. They're still in 2022 mode. I'm going to leave them be and watch them do what they're going to do for the next few weeks. The Dodgers going out Definitely surprised me, as, as it should have, as, as it surprised everybody. I wasn't ready to have this off-season conversation yet because, A, I thought we'd be getting to the finish line, and I thought that would be something that altered 
the offseason conversation. You know, if they if they did this a couple years removed from their last one, would that mean ah, maybe we take the pack the gas off a little bit here? Maybe we don't have the top payroll, the top tax. You know, we what do we do with this Trevor Bauer situation? And oh, by the way, we got three, four free agents that are terrifyingly going to be either expensive or hard to replace. So that's the plan here today. I've had tons and tons of external conversations with cousin Dan, um, who I plan to bring around this conversation, but I'm going to give him the evening off on this one. And I'm going to let him go off on his Cleveland guardians, another divisional series loser, whenever he's ready to have that conversation. And, uh, you know, it's not as thorough. The guardians have one free agent one, and it's a catcher that's already been replaced on the roster. So really the speculation is small market with the guardians. Will they move on from some players? Will they trade? Will they try to get out early on some of those conversations that are ARB3, maybe north of $10 million per year? The conversation we have with Tampa Bay and Miami and some of those teams that do this every two, three years. Uh, so that's kind of the uh, teeing up the conversation I'll be having with Dan about Cleveland probably in the next few days here for a podcast episode. But I'm going to focus on the Dodgers because, again, it, it, it surprised me. I'm going to be speaking off the cuff a little bit here. We've talked about some of the free agents. Trey Turner is obviously one of the bigger ones, one of the bigger ones in the entire league. And I know we've been talking about shortstops who are blue in the face the past three seasons. But here we are again with Trey Turner, possibly Xander Bogart, definitely Carlos Correa, just to name a few, definitely Dansby Swanson. Those are big names. Those are $200, $250, $300 million shortstops right there. And Trey Turner is right there. You know, he's not. I, he may not be the household name that he should be because he was buried in Washington and did his thing there and then kind of was the second piece in the Max Scherzer trade to the Dodgers. And then Scherzer left and Turner stayed and Turner replaced Corey Seager, who went and got an absurd amount of money from the Texas Rangers. So it's now Turner's turn. And what does that mean for the Dodgers? What does that mean for him? How does this fit into the whole conversation? And if we toss in some of these other names, Clayton Kershaw is going to be on its, in its own little bubble because question one with that is, does he even continue his career? He was fantastic for 65% of this season. It's Cy Young worthy. Back to Clayton Kershaw, we know. Posted a, over a 3.5 war this year and uh, you know a whip under one, an ERA under 2.3. He did manufacture 126 innings, so you know he only missed about like I said, about 30, 35% of his starts here. It, to me, it's totally up to him. And it's a situation where if he wants to come back, it, it's going to be a Wainwright type thing. If he wants to come back and this is where he wants to be, I don't know how the Dodgers can say no. All right. I mean, he, he made 17.3 million this past year. There's going to be a little bit more built in for some of the, uh, you know, the game started. So maybe it's up to, you know, 17, four or five at the end of the day. Does he have to go that high again? No. I mean, if we're talking about career earnings and hall of fame and blah, I mean, he's, he's approaching 270 million earned on the field. He can come down to the Wainwright, you know, eight, nine, 10, maybe 12 million mark at age 35, give his team a little bit of a break there. That's probably the right thing to do here, but he's still valuing at $31 million a year. So I don't know what to tell you. If, if, if he wants to go and join, if he wants to replace Jacob DeGrom in the Mets at three for 90, I, it'd be reckless 
from the team standpoint, but what do you, how do you say no to that? You know, I think the same conversation is going to be had with Justin Verlander. <clears throat> and oh, by the way, the reason I bring him up is I think the Dodgers are the only other team he would join. Verlander. If he leaves Houston, I think going to the Dodgers, maybe to replace Kershaw, maybe to replace a couple of other arms. Bueller's going to miss some significant time with his surgery this offseason. Tyler Anderson's a guy who was a back of the rotation guy, ended up with a 2.5 ERA, a one whip, you know, a 4.2 war and 15 wins. A 32-year-old Tyler Anderson, a guy that has been a complete unknown in the league, that's what happens sometimes when you join the Dodgers and you're the fourth, fifth option on the roster. So I think that the Dodgers know what they have in front of them. They probably already have an answer from Clayton Kershaw. We don't know that publicly, though. So all I can do is speculate, and that's why I'm keeping it in its own bubble. If he wants to play and he doesn't want to leave the Dodgers, I don't think the Dodgers have the ability to say no. Nor should they. Especially if they, there's an understanding that, look, I'm probably only giving you 20, 22 starts. So build your roster accordingly around that. And then, in, you know, in return, let's drop the salary to $12 million, build in some incentives, and go from there. So that one I'm going to leave alone, even though I'm a little bit concerned about the rotation next year, if I'm a Dodgers fan, if I'm a baseball fan looking to keep this thing together. Because like I said, I'm surprised we're talking about them already. I expect them to be right back in contention next year. No, no doubt in my mind. The Turner one's weird. Um, because they have an infielder. I don't believe he's a short. I don't believe Gavin Lux can play shortstop in this league. So I don't think that's a one-to-one translation. I don't think Chris Taylor is an everyday shortstop in this league, even though they did give him a utility contract, and he has been exactly that. He's been continued to bounce around that roster and that depth chart as needed. But they're both here under contract. Chris Taylor is signed. Gavin Lux is still under cost control. So what you're giving up defensively, and certainly offensively, I mean, what Trey Turner had, what did this year, if you don't know, by the way, we're talking 21 homers, 40 doubles, 100 RBIs, a 298 batting average, an 809 OPS, and almost five war. And by the way, last year, it was a four war, a 900 OPS. It just, you know, 28 home runs, 35 doubles. This is just who he is. He's done this five times in, in six years, in six full seasons, split with the Washington Nationals and the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's had these kind of seasons five times. It's not fluky. This is who he is. And he's an, he's an above average defensive shortstop. He was the number 13 overall pick back in 2014. Another one of those players that, that the Washington Nationals had had to watch in the postseason along with Josh Bell and Juan Soto and the works, right? Bryce Harper, all these players still involved that used to be Washington Nationals. This one's tough. Knowing they let Corey Seager walk, in my opinion, that was the sign that Trey Turner was going to be their guy, that he wasn't just the throw-in with Max Scherzer. In fact, it was exactly the opposite. Max Scherzer was the throw-in. Max Scherzer was the postseason three-month rental in that move, and the grand scheme move was to get Trey Turner here so that they could pay him probably less than Corey Seager made with Texas and get more production. Overall, five-tool production. Now, I, I question the less than Corey Seager, 
because I'm not sure where this is headed. If Carlos Correa is really going to bag 300, 320 over the next couple of months here somewhere, some Cardinals, somebody's going to do this. It might be the Twins. He might go back to the Twins. Uh, you know, Trey Turner is going to be on that level. He's going to be in that conversation. Now, he could also come down to earth a little bit. And he could be in the Trevor Story, Javi Baez, tax promoted conversation. Those guys got 140 million around a six year deal. You know, Xander Bogart's going to have to go upwards of two, 240. So does, does Trey Turner live in the 250 range kind of comfortably, which again is 75 million less than Corey Seager. And, uh, and are they just going to have to make this work for a 10 year deal? Is it 10 for 250, which is certainly a little bit friendlier on the tax for 25 million a year. In, in my opinion, that's where this is probably headed. We're going to let Correa go do his thing and get well overpaid. He's going to get his Seager contract this year. Probably not more than Lindor, but around the Seager contract this year. Dansby Swanson is probably down in that Trevor Story conversation, so maybe 150, 160. And Bogarts, like I said, is probably in between these two conversations, somewhere in the twos. And I do think that's where Turner belongs. So to me, it's let's see what happens with Bogarts. Does he hit the market or does, does Boston re-up him, basically restructure him after an opt-out to keep him as the linchpin? And what is that worth? And then the Dodgers basically say, okay, now we have a model of what a superstar shortstop who can hit the ball out of the ballpark looks like staying with the team long-term instead of hitting the open market. And that's what we're talking about for Trey Turner. So. I know I'm kind of waffling here a little bit, but if, if, I, if I say it's 10 for 250 <clears throat> from a tax perspective, even though I'm telling you right now, he's a $33 million player in our system. Six for 200, you know, eight for 266. I think it's going to be somewhere around that 250, probably around the 25 million per year for tax purposes. What else do the Dodgers have to deal with this offseason? Well, I'm not sure their bullpen was nearly what they wanted it to be. They let Canley Jensen walk. He was supposed to be the, uh, the one thing that the Braves did that actually worked out this year from a trade perspective or a free agent perspective, and it was close. Uh, I mean, the, the Iglesias-Jansen thing really, really vaulted them down the stretch. They're uh, one of the big reasons they had the second half that they did. The Kimbrell thing obviously didn't work out, <laughs> and I don't have to go on the record to say that that's been said and beaten to death there. So what happens from that perspective? Are they going to go and buy a big-time closer? Edwin Diaz is going to be available, um, and there will be a bidding war. And the Mets will be bidding high to keep him, but that's exactly the kind of move that the Dodgers make that makes everybody else in the league go, son of a bitch. You know, even if, the, even if Kershaw retires, and even if they're going to be a little thin from a starting perspective, heading into the season, something they know they can fix at the deadline if they have to. This is the move they make. Edwin Diaz, possibly, you know, something a little bit cheaper, but some kind of free agent splash that vaults them back into the conversation of, all right, we're not losing games late anymore. We're not losing one-run games anymore. We got the best guy in the business in his prime, and we overpaid for it at $20 million a year. It's possible that's exactly what they're thinking this offseason. Justin Turner is another question mark. 
been a real good soldier for them for a bunch of years here. He's almost 38 years old. They had him on a $16 million contract for the last couple of seasons here. It was a two for 34 with a club option. There is a club option of $16 million next year. I have to think they're going to punt on that. There's a $2 million buyout. But did they bring him back on the cheap? You know, the production was down. The power was way down. They don't really have a third baseman right now that they can, they can fill in the blanks with. They can certainly find something. But if I'm just talking depth chart, you're going to have to play Max Muncy there pretty much the bulk of the time right now, barring some kind of free agent signing. So if they're comfortable with that, and, you know, Muncy kind of played everywhere. He was a second baseman. He's got a bunch of reps at third this year. And Chris Taylor, by the way, is the everywhere man. He played second, short, third, left, center, everywhere. Speaking of center, I want to finish with this. Don't be surprised. And I bet you there's going to be a half a dozen names this year that get non-tendered, arbitration eligible, probably late arbitration eligible players that get non-tendered that flat out just are allowed to hit the open market because A, they don't want to deal with the trade scenarios. Teams don't want to deal with it. B, players and agents just say, let's just get me out of this arbitration process, non-tender me, let me hit the open market, and and I'll kind of restart my career from a free agent standpoint. I think Cody Bellinger is going to be on this list. Now, I think there's a lot of people out there that believe he's tradable. I don't. I think he's been riding the coattails of his MVP season for 24 months. And if you stare at these numbers the way I have stared at them for a while, and if you ran him through the projection tool that I have run him through multiple times, trying every which way, I, I, I did arbitration estimates this year for every single arbitration player, every single, I don't know, 200 or so arbitration players, maybe more. This was the one player, the only player in all of baseball on a 40-man roster, arbitration eligible, where I, I could not find a way to massage the system enough to get him a raise next year in arbitration. He does not deserve a raise. Now he's, he's going to get some kind of raise if he's not non-tendered because that's just how this system works. There's a higher tax threshold. Everybody's making a little bit more of the money of the pot. So even if it's $100,000, he's going to get a raise next year. You know, and there's some early estimates out there that say he's, you know, around the $18 million mark for, our, for his final arbitration year, ARB4. I can't get him there. He made 17 this year. That was a joke to me. He made 16-1 in 2021. He made 11-5 in 2020. So over the course of three seasons, he's gone from 11-5 to north of 17 and projects to 18 in a lot of calculations for arbitration four. I can barely get him to 16 right now. So I'm $2 million less than any other calculation I've seen out there for a Cody Bellinger. And in my opinion, when you're dealing with the, the tax situation the Dodgers are in, and, and who knows what happens with the Trevor Bauer situation, what if that $34 million comes back on their books? It doesn't look like it's going to, but it's something they have to consider. $2 million is huge. I think they punt on this. Maybe they get a, a flyer. Maybe somebody wants to take a flyer on Cody Bellinger and try to fix him with arbitration rights in tow. But I think this is a straight-up nine-tender. So something to keep an eye on as the Dodger stuff really starts to get interesting and, and kind of round into form here. But a couple of things I'll, I'll kind of bullet point here, getting out of here, Cliff Notes version. They're going to be thin on starters, no matter what happens. Even if Kershaw comes back, they're going to be thin. So I expect them to be aggressive, whether that's keeping Andrew Heaney and Tyler Anderson, whether that's 
you know, going out and trying to get a Carlos Rodon or a Verlander, like I mentioned, or even a DeGrom, let's not take that out of the conversation. They're going to be very thin in the bullpen. Very. I mean, Hembry, Alexander, Erlen, Mike Wright, Craig Kimbrell. There's names all over this. This happens every year to them. Tommy Canley, Chris Martin, you know, they're all over. That they, it's a revolving door with them. Now, they've generally had a back-of-the-end guy, right? Jansen Kimbrell here for the last forever. That's why I'm saying. I think one of the top three moves this team makes, and that's Turner, that's some, something with Kershaw slash the rotation, and then dead set ninth inning guy. Those are the three bullet points for the Dodgers headed into the offseason here. It's not going to be cheap. Their payroll is going to be gigantic again. Their tax payroll is going to be legendary again. And uh, they may be alone this time. Because if the Yankees let Judge walk and if the Mets lose all the, you know, the majority of the free agents that they may lose, it may be them sitting at the top of this list looking at everybody else saying, all right, we're the David, you know, we're the Goliath amongst 31 other Davids. It better freaking work this time. I'm really surprised it didn't this year. My thanks to The Athletics. Visit theathletic.com slash Track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription for Scott Allen. My name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.